Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our associate and student pastor, Matt Willingham. I want to welcome all of you here today at our Valpo location. Welcome all of you watching from North Judson and Hebron and Wanata, MPH, Westville. Come on, put your hands together. Let them know you're here. Let them know you're awake. So good to see you this morning. Those of you, did you get a good night's rest through that storm, right? My cats was meowing. Dogs was panting in my house. Kids was running all over the place. I was like, I'm just trying to sleep right now. What's going on in this house? And uh, so I know our farmers are appreciative of that rain. And so good to see you this morning. I want you to take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to go this morning. I need y'all to say a special prayer for the Willingham crew this week. We leave tomorrow, and uh, we're headed down to Branson, Missouri to meet up with who is already down there, Pastor Phil and Miss Rhonda and Mamaw and Amber and Allen and our 8,000 kids that they have. And uh, we're all going to be in one big house. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, y'all know. I heard, y'all heard it. And listen, y'all need to pray. Anybody ever use VRBO? Like, y'all use VRBO? Like, that's what we use, right? We've... My wife and I, we use that quite a bit. We'll book a house and go that way, and we have did it for this one as well. We've done it every vacation we took, and yesterday, check-in was at 4 o'clock, and come 9 a.m., we had heard and heard nothing from the lady that was supposed to give you the in- instructions, and come uh, 11 a.m., there was nothing. Come noon, there was nothing. Come 1 p.m., there was nothing. Come 3 p.m., my wife was like, I'm a little nervous. Like, this lady ain't returning my phone calls, and uh, long story short, Pastor Phil got in town. They didn't have no house, y'all. And, uh, oh, yeah, uh-huh, y'all pray for him. And so they got a hotel with VRBO, got him a hotel room, and he called me. He goes, uh, we're going to need to get a house ASAP. This hotel is not. Uh, I'm like, when did you get so bougie, Dad? I was like, I need to know why are you so bougie. And so uh, that means fancy for some of you who don't know what that word means. That means, like, high end. And so, so, but they got a house now. They're checking in today at 4. And, uh, and, but if you know anything about Pastor Phil, he does not do change well on a vacation at all, and so we're going to be down there tomorrow. We're going to have a good time, and so, but I wanted you to open them up. Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to go today. Matthew chapter 11. We've got a message I've simply entitled today, The Danger of Indifference. The Danger of Indifference. And we're going to look at a message that I'm going to talk to you just as our, our youth pastor, if I can do that uh, for you this morning. You know, sometimes, you know, I kind of bring a message and, and we have a good time. We're going to have a good time this morning, but I want to kind of come to you from a different angle as I've now over the last two weeks, last week, Pastor John said, uh, we took our students down to, to camp, had an incredible time, a little over 300 students there total, uh, 60-something students ourselves, our leaders was there, uh, Pastor Lindsay came down, Thomas and Kaylee, some of the, our, our students did worship last week, we led the worship for the camp, they did such a good job, they're like, we need y'all back every, every year. And uh, so that was an incredible time. And the week before that, I was there just as kind of working the camp. That was the first time I've done two weeks of camp in a while, Caleb. I don't know if I'll ever do that again because that was uh, my lack of sleep schedule kind of went on. But, uh, but I, I hung out now over the last couple of weeks with a little over 600 students from all across the state. So how fitting the question that we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 12. And it says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. This is Jesus talking to an audience, to the, to the nation of Israel, and he's talking about himself and 
John the Baptist. There was arguing on who was greater. There was arguing on who we should listen to. There was arguing on who is John the Baptist, who is Jesus. And so Jesus is addressing. And in verse 13, he says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. If you know anything about New Testament, Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we have Elijah, and then we have Elisha. Elisha was a double portion of what Elijah represented. And in the New Testament, we get the same representation of John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist was the Elijah. He was the first to come that pointed to Jesus, who would be the Elisha, who would represent the double portion, who would represent the greater things that were to come. And so this is who John the Baptist and and Jesus was, Jesus, the Son of God, the greater to come. And verse 15, he says, whoever has ears, let them hear. And the question today, verse 16, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dire, we sang a song, and you did not mourn. So to what can I compare this generation. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy, Lord. Because of what your son Jesus did on the cross, we can come to your presence. We can come to your throne boldly today. And God, I pray over these next few minutes that as we open your word, that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to what it is you have to say to us today. God, you would challenge and change every one of us, God, from every location. God, those watching online, that God, you would speak to us today. Let us Leave different than how we were when we walked in. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, everybody, said amen. 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 To what can I compare this generation? You know, each of us in this room come from different generations. We have different pasts. We have different history. I could bore you this morning and talk about the different generations that we have. We have the builder's generation, which was probably one of the greatest generations that many people consider this this was the generation that fought world wars and and really it was a generation of them and 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 their back that we really kind of get to live on what we have today and then after the builder generation came the the silent generation and after them came what many of you are probably part of in this room the baby booming generation and then it came what I think is the greatest generation that's my generation generation x born 19 61 and 1981, any Generation X up in the house? Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. We're pretty cool. I think so myself. And then, and then uh, after Generation X, though, came the Millennials. Come on, where's the Millennials at? Millennials, where you at? There you go. Yeah, see, they're a little bit crazy. Woo! They give a little holler, right? And, and then after the Millennials comes Gen Z. Gen Z is now what we know. Gen Z, where you at? Come on, Gen Z. Gen Z, there you go, yeah. Gen Z is 25 years and, 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 and younger, and, and right after Gen Z is this new generation they've already coined uh, called uh, the Alpha Gen. If you don't understand Generation Z, ha, go read about the Alpha Gen because they're coming right up and will be teenagers soon, and they will, uh, yeah, they're experiencing some things already that's pretty incredible. And, and this is what I know, while sociologists and historians divide us up into categories and divisions, in many ways, all of us are part of one generation, right? We're kind of part of the same time that we're living in, so we have this common time. We share this common society, and we're kind of really all part of what I really consider the present generation. We're all here. We're all living. We're all thriving. We're working. We're going to school, and, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 begins to 
build this negative analogy about the generation of Israelites in his day that really, I think, kind of looks a lot about a lot like our generation today. He uses this phrase, this question, to what shall I compare this generation? Another way of maybe asking it, what do I do with this generation? What do I do with these times? And oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we can look at the generation after us and we say, what do I do with this generation? How, how do we handle Gen Z today? You know, as a youth pastor now, I've been doing youth ministry for 18 years. It's been a minute. I'm now in the phase of life where people that are, were in my youth group as teenagers are getting married. They're having babies, right? I'm doing their weddings. I'm dedicating their children, themselves. And, and uh, early, um, early on in, in life, I realized the joy of kind of being in youth ministry that long. But, but even if I'm honest myself, I can honestly look at the generation that we have now and I even ask the questions you ask. What, what do we do with this generation? And Jesus uses this analogy. He uses this analogy of, of the children playing in a marketplace. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. And, but really what Jesus is doing in our, in our text this morning in Matthew chapter 11, he reflects this, this deep awareness of what is happening in the world around him. And I think for you and I, if there's anything else if I could challenge you this morning, is, is that now is a time, more than ever, that we understand and, and we, we really grab onto this deep value and this deep awareness of everything that is going on around us. And what cracks me up oftentimes when it comes to generation after generation after generation, what cracks me up is that it, it seems to be that it's always the newer generation that takes all of the blame for everything going wrong. <laughs> right? Come on, we do it ourselves, right? And come on, don't act like you're so religious. Like some of you who grew up, you bunch of hippies with your bell bottoms and your long hair and your rock music, come on, they said y'all were going to hell in the handbasket when that went down. And, and right, and then comes my generation with like the saggy pants and, and they wouldn't pull their pants up. And you know, we had the Fab Five with the big old baggy shorts and everybody thought we were just all thugs and like was, we was all going to hell in a handbasket. All of us, after generation from generation, we can always put the blame on the newest generation. And, and I often ask myself, what is so different about today's student? Well, what is so different about what they're experiencing versus when you and I experience? I mean, again, as you study today, I don't want to bog you down with historical and sociological facts of generations, but, but as you study, every generation of students and every generation of uh, teens are shaped by social, political, and economic events of that day. And again, you can probably in your own mind's eye go back to when you was a teenager and the things that, that shaped you and molded you and the things that was going on. But a lot of times people say, what is the difference between this generation and generations prior? Now listen, by a show of hands, we're in church, don't lie. I know there's teenagers and Gen Z is everywhere. But by a show of hands, be honest. How many of you would say that this generation is worse off than any other generation? Raise your hand if you, if you agree with that, right? Come on, you agree with that? Anybody else? Listen, anybody else? Raise your hand nice and high. You say, oh, this, these people got issues. They got a lot of issues. They're, they're worse off than this generation, right? Polls, um, as they begin to study adults and, and begin to ask questions, you know, oftentimes we will think that generally we think teens' behavior is getting worse. 
But the answer is actually when you begin to look that uh, these group of students are actually the most best behaving group of students in a very long time. Should we pray right now and all of you repent for your heart for raising your hand? Right? Um, one study, for example, asked Americans whether teen pregnancy rate had gone up, down, or stayed the same since the 1990. And only 18% got the right answer. Because the truth of the matter is that since 1990, teen pregnancy has declined dramatically over the last three decades. Now, I'll be, I'll be honest, as I read that, I was very intrigued. So I'm like, well, I remember when I was a teenager, we all loved Jesus, and nobody did that kind of stuff. And we all went to youth group, and everybody was, was, was good. And, and so I went to this website. There's this website that you can go to, and you can, you can enter in the year that you're born, and it shows you the year that you were 16 years of age, and then it compares your generation versus other generations. So I did. I went in. I put it in, and I realized that I was 16 years old. Teenagers, you say a word, I'll come off the stage and slap you. I realized I was 16 years old. In 1997, that's when I was 16, 1997, Kaylee uh, Hinkle texted me, and she said, Pastor Matt, I was born in 1997. And I texted her back, I hate you, never mention that again. And, but, in, but in 1997, I was, I was 16 years old, and I began to look at my generation versus now, today, the students at Gen Z that we face. And in 1997, 36.4% of teenagers smoked. Today, in 2028, only 10.8% of teenagers smoke. That's a 70% decline. Um, in 1997, teenagers were 47%, or I'm sorry, today's teenagers versus the teenagers of 1997 are 47% less likely to binge drink than what me and my classmates did. Now listen, I never binge drink at all. I never drunk, I was never a partier. I didn't, I didn't like drinking and doing all of that, but, but I know I had a lot of friends that did that, and they said that today students are 47% less likely to do that. Matter of fact, they're 20% less likely, today's students are, they're 20% less likely to have ever tried alcohol at all. 46% are less likely to have sex in before they turn 13. What am I trying to show you? I'm trying to show you this generation that we're dealing with today that we often think is worse, and we often think is it has a lot more issues. Really, they drink less, they smoke less, they have sex less, and they're really better off than what we think. Their paradigm, the life paradigm of Gen Z is simply this. I'm coping and I'm hoping. I'm coping with life and I'm hoping things get better. They have this, this hacker mindset when it comes to education that, they, that they, don't, they will pull from different resources in order to gain the knowledge that, that they need in life. There's really three main fears of Gen Z. You want to know what they are? I'll give them to you. This is why I love Gen Z so much. I love to study about Gen Z. They have three main fears Gen Z does. Number one is FOMO, the fear of missing out. The second main fear that Gen Z has is FOLO, the fear of living offline. You don't believe me? Take your student's phone and watch their, their world fall apart. I don't even have to threaten my kids anymore. I'll just say, like, hey, one more word, your phone is gone. Zip, no more words at all in my house, right? Phone is gone. And, and then they also have FOMU. They've, they've labeled it FOMU, the fear of messing up. The fear of messing up. Gen Z, when you begin to look at our generation today, it's the most racially and ethnically diverse generation of all generations yet. And, and as we begin to look at them through past generations, every generation has 
social issues. Every generation has political issues. Every generation has these things that they're concerned about. But when you look at Gen Z, they're focused on health care, mental health, higher education, economic security, civic engagement, race equality, and the environment. Gen Z is known for being the most resourceful, independent learners who value diversity and inclusive culture. They are very actually financially conservative, and they, they have a keen focus on investing income. Gen Z values justice and values equality. And the sad news about Gen Z is only 4% of them have a biblical worldview. So what do we do with this generation? What do we do with what we see as a mom, as a dad, as a grandparent, as an aunt, as an uncle, as just someone living life alongside this generation? How do we, how do we, how do we help someone that, that many have labeled indifferent? Many has labeled this generation that they have a lack of interest or concern. They're indifferent. That they're not concerned about real things. Many people have has labeled this generation as unimportant. Many people have said that this generation has little or no concern to everything going on around them. And it sounds a lot like what Jesus was describing in Matthew chapter 11. A lot of the labels that we see Jesus address in Matthew chapter 11 are the labels that we see that we put on this generation ourselves. Here's one label I'll give them to you. Let me get you back to the text. Many people say that this generation has a listening problem. In verse 16, Jesus says that the generation in which he was there, he said there were children sitting in the markets and calling unto their friends. It was just silly. It was a silly generation. They had a listening problem. And the implication was for Christ in Matthew chapter 11 that the people in that day acted immaturely, childishly. There was this silliness about the way in which these people live. And we can often, oftentimes we kind of put the same thing on this generation today that we're facing, this generation that we're involved in, this generation that many of us, I know we're not in Gen Z, but, but still socially and economically, we're kind of in this generation together. And we look at the generation, though, coming up after us, and we say, man, that's just, this generation has a listening problem. They're just silly. They got issues that, that I don't know anything about. They got, they got problems that, that I've never experienced. You know, this generation is the first generation that can broadcast their every emotion. That's a scary thing. That because of the social media, that in an instant, everything, everything they're thinking, everything they're feeling can be broadcast. This is the first generation that enjoy external stimuli because of the phones at their fingertips 24-7. This is the first generation that often people, many people say it like this, that they are the generation that they are constantly in social contact at all times and yet find themselves feeling the most isolated at all times. Socially connected, relationally empty. The average teen, they say, will spend as much as a full-time job on a screen in any one given day. Eight to ten hours a day on a screen. The average teenager does. And if we're not careful, this is what we do. We will look at this generation. And we'll say, well, listen, they're just, they're, they have a listening problem, and they're silly, and the issues that they face, and, and I don't understand. You know, they say that this generation endures the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. And we look at this generation, and we say, I don't know what to do about this generation. What do I do 
What's this generation coming up after me, Pastor Matt? What do I do about my kids, my grandkids? What do I do about the students that I'm around? What do I do about this generation? I've come to understand because of the access. This is what I know, though. You want to know what your role is? This, this generation doesn't need adults for information. They need adults for interpretation. Because they have information access constantly in their life. They have information access constantly. Uh, you know, whenever they want it, they have it. And what, what they need is role models. What they need are moms, dads, aunts, uncles. They can interpret what is going on around them. So instead of just stiff-arming and saying, man, they don't listen. Man, they're just silly. I don't understand the issues. They need you and I to step into their life. But, but we say this generation is just, they have a listening problem. And then when we look around our generation, we look at our culture today, we say there's, a, there's an offensive problem. We, we look around our culture today and people are just demanding. Jesus was facing it as well. He says, he says, go back to your text in Matthew chapter 11. He says, didn't you hear me playing the music? Talking about the kids in the marketplace. You were supposed to dance when I played the music. Didn't you hear me say that we were going to play a funeral? Get over here and weep like you mean it. That's the message translation of Matthew 11. Do you see the demanding, the bossy tone of the words in this culture that Jesus talks about? They act as if others owe it to them. And, and they act as if, the world is owed to them, and don't we see it in our culture today? Our generation acts like their parents owe them the money and possessions. The generation we see acts like the government owes them a college education, that the world owes them a high-paying job. That sense of entitlement and demanding, this sense of entitlement and demanding attitude are symptoms of this disease that is plaguing our generation and this disease of selfishness. And we have this have it your way mentality, this Burger King mentality, right, that have it your way. And then, listen, we get so upset with this generation. We get so upset with the people around us. But if we're honest with ourselves, this attitude has crept right into the church where people honestly believe that the church is supposed to meet all of their needs and not the other way around. Well, when the music is right, I'll go, to, I'll go back to church. When the preaching is right, I'll go back to church. When the ministries meet my needs, I'll go back to church. And if they don't meet my needs, guess what? I'll go find a church that does meet my needs. Oh, it is quiet in here today. When, when Jesus said, what does Jesus say in Matthew 20, 28? He said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to. The Son of Man came not to take, but to give. And if we're not careful, we find this sort of selfishness, this strange foreign sort of selfishness at work in our own life and we find ourselves just like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and we have to look at we look at the generation and we say they're so selfish they don't understand they act like everything is owed to them when newsflash they learned it from somebody they got it from someone I, I we, we, we were at I wasn't but one of our campus pastors went to a a town hall meeting a couple months ago. And they, and they wanted to have this town hall meeting because of issues they were having in their school. They were having some major bullying issues, cyberbullying, bullying in person. And they said, we need to have a meeting. So they got all the town officials together. They got some of the school board members together. And, and they asked that, that one of our pastors, a couple of our pastors be present because of what we do in the school campuses. And I kid you not, I wasn't there, but the pastor came back to us and they told me and Pastor John, they said, listen, I realized really quickly why there's a bullying issue in that place. He goes, because I saw adults talk to each other in a way that adults should never talk to each other. He said, I saw parents talk to school 
faculty members with no respect, no honor. Hello, I'm talking real right now. He's like, and we wonder why their kids have an issue. It's because they're learning it from their mommies and their daddies. So don't be so quick to throw this generation under the bus because I'll challenge you and say, where did they get it from? Where have they learned it from? It's this selfishness mentality. Then Jesus goes on and shows us. Y'all didn't like that, so let me move on. He, he shows there's this, there's this apathy problem. Now, now in verse 16, look at what he says. He says there's these children, and they're sitting in the markets. They're sitting, sitting down in the market. It's just this picture that he paints. The market is a place where activity is going on. There's, they're buying, they're selling, they're trading, they're, there's activity. And yet here are these small kids completely oblivious to the importance of the things going on around them. They're like children playing make-believe. That's what he's saying in verse 11. They're in their own little world while the real world is moving on around them. And look, we look at ourselves today, we look at our present world, important events are taking place all around us. The signs of the times are, are literally plastered on the front pages of, of websites and of, of social media. The, the leading stories on the nightly news often sound almost like a contemporary report of biblical prophecies. And all the while, many generations are just living their life blissfully unaware, apathetic, oblivious to what is going on around us, oblivious to, to the critical nature. Can I tell you, listen, now more than ever, moms, dads, grandmas, grandparents, students, aunts, uncles, whatever, now more than ever, now is not the time to just play games. Now more than ever, it's not the time to just come to church and check the box because, hey, this is what we do on Sundays, and, and, and I go to small groups every now and then, and, and I serve on a team because that's what you're supposed to do because if we're not careful, we will find ourselves, we live in our own little world, unconscious of the real world, rapidly moving around us. We become apathetic. We're sitting, idle, but we don't just sit, right? Our, our apathy, help me, PJ, our apathy looks a little bit different. Our, our apathy in, our, in 2023 in our culture, it, it, it comes out in another way. And, and this is what it's like. Take, you, take, you take this, and you go that way behind the door. Yeah, all the way back there, however you want. Don't knock over Tino's saxophone. We, don't, we can't financially pay for those. Those are nice saxophones. We won't financially recover. There you go. Just, just go and go behind the door. So, so this is like a tape measure. It's 100 feet. But he's going to go put it behind the door and then just throw it. And let's just pretend like that, what's behind the door represents eternity. We can't see it, but it goes on forever. All right? You follow me? You with me? Just nod your head like you're with me, okay? Um, they say that on, on average, find 80. They say on average that men live to be 73 years old, 80 years old if you're a woman, Men, watch what the women are putting in your dinner at nighttime because I think they're trying to get us life insurance money. I don't know what it is. But, but they say, let's, let's go this way. Let's go this way. So 80 years, 80 years old, let's just go with 80 is the average. Is that you? You're there? You're not 80, but I mean, that's, yeah, you're not 80. That's, and then where's Mason? Come here, Mason. You helped me in the first service. We'll just come back up here. And then Mason is 16, gets his license in what, 20? How many days? 22 days. He knows. Yeah, see, he knows exactly. Gets his license. Pray for me and pray for my insurance. Lord Jesus, don't let them rates go too high. There's your 16 right there. Okay? So every, every inch on this tape represents a year of life. So look, here's Mason at 16 years old. 
this young buck just living free. He's got all of this time ahead of you, all of this time ahead of him. Here's PJ representing 80 years old, and, and, and watch. In view of eternity, it's nothing. In, in, in view of eternity, Mason ain't even started yet. In view of eternity, really, 80 years old ain't even started yet. And so, and so watch, this is what we do. This is what our apathy looks like, though. We don't become lazy when we sit down and we do nothing. Our apathy comes out in another way where we make everything important but what should be important. Oh, talk to me this morning. Don't get quiet on me. We, we, we make everything important versus what should be. In view of eternity, in view of what really matters, can I talk to my parents? Oh, we will drive our teenagers to every sporting event possible. I do it. I'm a dad. I coach two sports. My boys play three sports. We'll drive to every sporting event possible. We'll get to every club ball. We'll get to every travel tournament. We'll drive them to any college showcase. We'll do Ain't nothing wrong with that. But go to youth group. I'm just so busy. I can't take them back to youth group on a Sunday night. Oh, yeah, I know y'all going to be quiet. I know y'all going to be quiet. We'll, we'll find ourselves. I mean, I'll take them to the right parties on the weekend because they got to be a part of the right social group and they got to have the right friends. And I'll, I'll let them have every social media account that they should have, even though there's garbage there. My boys still hate me because they don't have Snapchat or Instagram or anything. But, but we'll give them everything because we want them to fit in and we want them to have the best life. In view of eternity, it means nothing. Now, listen, I'm not against sports. Oh, hear me. I, I, I love sports. I'm not against activities. I love activities. I'm not against things in life. But we will spend the 80 years of our life doing all of this stuff, filling it in with stuff that is just really simply, in, in light of eternity, it amounts to nothing. It amounts to just silly again. And we will find ourselves, watch this, being driven by amusement rather than being driven by purpose. Oh, I, I, want, I want my kids to fit in. I want to be a part of the right group as a mom and a dad. I want to be invited to the right parties. I want to be at the right cookouts. I want to live in the right neighborhood. Listen, and our life, if we're not careful, oh, hear me this morning. It can be said of our day as well that this world is morally and spiritually decaying at a break, at breakneck, a breakneck speed. And the majority of our generation is suffering from this addiction of amusement. I'm saying it's not important. I'm not saying it's not good. My youngest son, Trey, he talks about it all the time. Now, he's going to need to grow a lot, but his dream is to play in the NBA. He's like, Dad, I'm going to play in the NBA. I'm going to go play Kentucky basketball, and I'm going to go to the NBA. And I'm like, boy, you go do it. Just make sure you tithe and make sure you take care of mom and dad when you get paid. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so does it mean I stop his dreams? No, because I think God needs good Christian people in the NBA, right? Does it mean I stop my, Mason, Mason has a desire. He says, I think I want to be an engineer, and I want to, I want to work in that. Do I say, no, Mason, you got, no, I, I, I push him to chase towards the thing of God. But in the view of the whole time, eternity is in mind. Do I get it right all the time as a parent? I absolutely do not. Do I get it right all the time as a mom and dad? No, as a husband and wife. And, and, and so what happens, though, watch, we don't have the time to care and we become indifferent because we're busy. We often talk about how busy we are when in reality, most of our time outside of work is spending trying to amuse ourselves with activities that in the scope of eternity mean nothing. And Christ uses the analogy. He says they're, they're silly games, childish. They're silly games. Listen, there's nothing wrong with amusement. There's nothing wrong with enjoying certain activities. That's not what I'm trying to say here. Hear me this morning, mom, dad. 
student, grandma, grandpa. Yet when, when, we live, when, we, when we live our whole lives consistent of nothing but one mindless amusement after another, he says you become like this silly generation. You become like this generation that has lost the view of eternity. You've got yourself so wrapped up. You've got yourself so bound by everything else that I'm not saying it's not important, but it's become your driving factor in life that you miss out on the greatest things. You miss out on, on, on the most important things in life. It's the stuff that eternity is, is built for. And then he says, he says there's this, not only this apathetic problem, but this is kind of goes hand in hand. There's this selfish problem. Again, in verse, he says, they called out to their friends, we piped into you, and you did not dance. We mourned unto you, and you have not mourned with us. You have not lamented. It's this picture, as I've read this, it's kind of like this picture. Uh, imagine them with their arms crossed. I don't know if kids have ever done this, like when they're smaller, they get mad. And the arms get crossed, and me and PJ call it your boo-boo lip, and your boo-boo lip comes out, hmm, and you just start to pout, right? This is what he's saying, this is the generation. Self is pouting. Bottom lips sticking out, your boo-boo lips out. You're upset. You didn't get your way. And like petty children, he says this, this selfish generation, it's, it's, it's hard to deal with. It's unfortunately, I think, an accurate one. Not, not just of Gen Z, I think of our generation as a whole, of our culture as a whole. That we're selfish in our conversation. We're selfish in our thinking. And you know what, when, when they start singing the songs I like, I'll raise my hands and worship. Hmm. When teenagers actually start listening to me, I'll actually start talking to them. Hmm. Right? Just pouting. When they start really talking about issues in the Bible, I'll really start, I'll really start going to discussion. When my small group really makes it more convenient for me to be there, I'll actually be there. Hmm. Just, just pouting. Selfish. And we find ourselves selfish in our conversation, selfish in our thinking. And we'll even say something like this to the generation behind us. Well, if they get on my level, then I'll, I'll care about what they actually care about. Really? You, you know why I go to schools? Why I coach? It's not because the money's so great, is it, Mr. Mateer? It's not because financially it's a great decision in my life. You know why I like to go to campuses and hang out? It, it's, it's, it's because... I meet students there that I'll never meet inside the four walls of my church. I, I get to talk to parents there that I've never met and I'll never meet in church. I shared this story, and I don't, I don't know if I've shared this with you before or not. If, if I have, just pretend like you've never heard this before, but I shared the story last week. They gave me the opportunity to talk to some youth pastors, and I'm very passionately. I tell youth pastors all the time, if you're not involved in community, I love you, you're lazy, go get in community. And so... I was telling the story, Steve, who plays the bass on our youth worship team, uh, is going to be a freshman in high school. And I met Steve first because I was coaching seventh grade basketball. And he meets this crazy preacher guy who yells a lot in basketball and, and is very passionate about basketball. And I go to concert one night, and my son Jeremiah is in band, and I see Steve is playing the bass. I'm like, yo, Steve plays the bass guitar. That's cool. I knew then that my current, our current bass player in youth, Thomas, who plays on our adult worship team, was about to, uh, he was about to transition out because him and his wife were starting a family and his schedule was going to look different even though 
he would help some. He's like, I just don't have the commitment. So I was like, I'm going to need a, uh, I'm going to need a, a bass player. So Johnny, I, I saw Steve later on that week outside of school, and I said, Steve, I saw that you play the bass in jazz band. That's cool. I was like, do you go to church? He's like, no, coach, I don't. I go, do you go to youth group? He goes, no, coach, I don't. I go, come to youth group on Sunday night. I need a bass player. He goes, all right, coach, cool, I will. So he shows up to youth group, starts I'm teaching him just a little bit of stuff, right, showing him some stuff about worship music, starts playing bass every Wednesday night, doesn't, or every Sunday night, doesn't know Jesus, right, not saved. He goes to youth camp last year, and he gets saved, and he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? And uh, so now he plays bass every Sunday night. And but what I love the most about Steve is my story. Uh, when Steve first started coming around and was on our worship team, we'd be in worship practice, and he would always throw he would always throw the students off because a lot of the teenagers called me Pastor Matt. But when he would ask for something, Joe, he'd be like, "Coach, I need you to fix this in my ears." And they're like, "Coach, who the heck is Coach around here?" Like, I know I don't see a coach. He calls me Coach to this day. He doesn't call me Pastor Matt. He calls me Coach. Why? Because that's where I met him in his life was his coach. And now Steve comes to church. Steve went to youth camp. I told Steve one night that was getting ready to go to the worship, that was getting ready to go to the stage to do worship, and I went and I put my arm around him. I go, Steve, did you ever think when you was in seventh grade and you met me screaming at you on a basketball court, did you ever think you'd be standing at a summer camp about to go lead students into worship, about 350 students into worship, and would you be praising God with your life, with your base? He goes, Coach, I never saw it coming. He goes, but I'm glad I'm here. What happened? I met him somewhere else. And if we're not careful because we become so selfish of our calendar, because we become so selfish of our own worldviews, because we become selfish of our own thinking, of our own talking, we find ourselves missing out opportunities that Christ has for us to pour into the next generation. See, because I believe America, I know we have a lot of issues, I know we have a lot of things going on, but I believe, I believe America is still one of the greatest nations to live in. America it has a lot of, listen, I know politically and socially and, and racially there's, there's tension in our life. But I, I do know one thing, that America is still, wanna, still a country that you have unlimited free access to the gospel whenever you want it. You can download it on your phone. I, I was talking to the speaker last week. He was in a place of the, of, of the world. He was with this movement. It's called Live Dead Movement. And what this movement is, if you don't know anything about it, go read it. It's a group of young people. It's college age young people that go and they give their heart and life to Christ in parts of the country where it is, I'm not just saying unpopular, it is illegal to be a Christian. And they go out and they preach Christ on the streets. Get this, it's a different mentality, hoping that that's the day that they get killed for Christ. The speaker was telling me he was in a place of the country, barricades around the church. There's military patrolmen all around the barricades because this church has been getting bombed. He said, and the guys on the stage challenging all of these young people in the crowd. And he said, today could be the day we're going to go out on the streets. And he calls out the city. We're going to preach the name of Jesus. We're going to preach the gospel. Today, today could be the day that you go home and you get your reward. And he says, then he calls everybody up. This is our camp speaker telling me this story. He says, Pastor Matt, they call us up. He goes, and they start praying. He goes, and I'm next to a group of people that I heard a prayer, prayed that I had never heard in my life. He goes, and it shook me. And I ain't going to lie, I don't think I could ever pray this prayer myself. He said, I'm standing here next, next to these group of people, and they're praying, God, today, let today be the day that I get killed for you. He goes, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, hey, I'm trying to get home. I don't want this today to be the day that we get killed for Jesus. I got to get home. I got a family. I need to say goodbye or something. But this is the mentality that they have. We forget that there's places like that in, in this world. 
But America has access, unlimited access to the gospel at any, any moment. There's churches today you can leave, you can drive around. You know in our city, in our community at North Judson and Hebron, you can drive around and there's churches scattered throughout our community. There's, there's numerous Christian radio stations. There's numerous Christian television stations. Most of us even have several copies of God's word right in our living room, in our house. So the question is then, what do we do about this generation? Well, what is our response to, yeah, they're silly, yeah, they're selfish. Yes, we find our generation, our culture stubborn, but we find our culture per, um, per, being perverted by, by, the, by the things of the world. How do we combat what we see? What is the answer, Pastor Matt, to everything I see going on around me? Here's your first thing. Write it down. It's not in your notes. If you want to change the culture around you, if you want to change this generation, the answer is simply this, to first live differently yourself. Because, again, I said it earlier, what we see in this generation has been learned from someone, good or bad. What you see from the generations behind you, it's a learned behavior. And this is what I know. I may not be able to change everyone's behavior, but I can change mine. I may not be able to change everyone's ability to be unselfish, but I can change mine. I may not be able to change every, every student's ability to listen to God's people and God's word and his voice, but oh, I can change Mind. And I wonder if we were to cut out the silliness, the selfishness, the stubbornness, the, the frivolous activity, the apathy in our own lives. I wonder what it would look like in the next generation to follow. Oh, I can't make them quit living in a selfish bubble, but I can't mind. I, I, I can't quit treating this gospel message like it's just something old and dusty and outdated and worn out and it doesn't apply I can't change it in their life, but I can start in mine. I, I can't necessarily make someone else, like on that tape measure, look at their life and, and live it in such a way in view of eternity, but, but I can do that with, with mine. I can't make them listen and respond to Christ's message today and his unction in my own heart, but I can in mine. Because see, this is what I think. Hear me tonight. Hear me today. This is what I think. The issue that we see in our generation today, it's not a lack of resource. It's a lack of responsibility. It's a lack of responsibility. See, we, we label them as indifferent. Come on, Lindsay, I gotta quit. We label them as indifferent. We label them as not caring. We label them as not listening. We label them as not trustworthy. We label them, I don't care. You just put whatever label you've heard and what you put on your own life. But if we're not careful, hear me, hear me this morning. We're the ones that become, have become indifferent to them. I don't care about their issues. I mean, people walk around thinking they're animals. People walk around thinking that they're off in sex. I don't know what to do with that. So because I don't know what to do with that, I become indifferent. And if we're not careful, watch. This is what we do. We dismiss many times what we don't understand. Because we don't understand it, we dismiss it. Because we never went through those issues, well, they just must, they're going to hell in the handbasket. They're just too far gone. And we dismiss it. Because we don't understand their thinking, we just dismiss it and and, and listen I, I think I think for you and I it's not a lack of I look in this room I see moms and dads aunts and uncles some of you you gave money financially to send students to summer camp 
I had people in the first service even come up again and said, next year when you go, I want to give. I want to help more students go. So look, it's not a lack of response. It's not a lack of resources. It's a lack of responsibility. And oftentimes we have labeled this generation as throwaway. We've labeled this generation as not reachable. We've labeled this generation as lost. I think it's one of the greatest generations ever. Matter of fact, if you study history, you study revival, you'll see that oftentimes great awakenings often happens in teenagers and college students first. So if you're throwing them away, you're missing out on something. Last week we went, show that picture. These are our students that we took last week. <laughs> Look at them. This was, this was pre-camp. This is when they're rested and, and they're all smiling. And uh, post-camp was a little more tired. And we had a good time. Some of our students from North Justin. And then the next picture is some of the fun. Man, look at that. Like, this summer camp so much fun. So a uh, group of them in the lake there. It's one of the nastiest lakes ever I've ever been around. But they get in it. I feel like you might get a coli if you get in that water, like gangrene. So going back. No, go back. Go back earlier. Go back to the. Then there's like a dress-up day down there. They have like themes. This uh, bottom right picture. They're, we're getting ready to play. They call it Tube Wars. And I'm going to tell you, it's the most gladiator event you've ever seen in your life. I kid you not, like they wrestle over tubes and mattresses and pool noodles for points. Like kid last week got a concussion. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It gets crazy, man. Like now you're like, my kid's never going to youth camp. We do our best not to get concussions, but sometimes it happens. Um, out there in the top right, we're the red team. So that's just some of our students. And uh, y'all seen that movie, right? Uh, Vote for Pedro. Or you seen, uh, dang it, it just slipped, slipped my mind. What is it? Napoleon Dynamite. There's Alex, our Napoleon Dynamite in the bottom right. And he looks just like uh, Napoleon Dynamite. And then, though, this is what camp's really about. This is what I love. Go to, now go to the next picture. Here's some of the nighttime pictures of the altar. Don't tell me this generation don't love Jesus. 300-something kids going after it. There's a photo. This is the altar time. That middle photo is Mackenzie and Peyton Duttlinger. That was their first year at camp. And Tia, who has the long red hair, who's kind of hugging one of the Duttlingers. That was her first year at camp. And they get rocked in the altar. And Tia just starts praying like never before, speaking over, over uh, Miss Duttlinger. And they're, they're in a circle praying. There's our worship team I told you earlier. They did our worship. Mackenzie, Mackenzie uh, uh, had her life rocked, uh, got baptized in the Holy Spirit last week. And, and just incredible, incredible story after story. Uh, I can, can I play an audio for you real quick? Here's like 30 seconds of what worship sounds like. I can't. Did it change your life? Like listen to 300 students start to lift their voice. Like they know how to worship better than anybody ever been around. I look at that. Just getting it for God. Just getting it for God, man. Don't tell me this generation is lost. So I get it. So what's my response then? All right, Pastor Matt. Maybe I've, I've been one that's put labels. Maybe I've been one that's stiff-armed the generation behind me, wherever you find yourself. What's our response to this culture? What's our response to this generation? As a youth pastor, what, what's something I can give you this morning to challenge you? Well, you have basically three options. You can do one, you can ignore this generation. Like maybe, if we're honest, we have been doing. 
Maybe you could just ignore them. Now listen, I'm not saying today I'm about to volunteer uh, youth leaders and I want you to come. You should not all be in youth ministry because I'll be honest, some of you would, take ter- would make terrible youth leaders in youth ministry. I'm just going to be honest with you. You wouldn't enjoy it. So I'm not asking you to go volunteer in the youth ministry. I'm not asking you to go volunteer in kids ministry. Some of you would be pulling your hair out by the end of kids ministry time, right? I'm not saying that. But some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we have found ourselves just stiff-arming because we didn't understand it. We dismissed it. and we've, we, I can ignore this generation. I can complain about this generation. That's an option. Some of us have done that before. They don't get it. They don't listen. They're too far gone. Their style is different. Their music is different. Their issues are different. And we can just complain. But I think if we allow ourselves, I want you to stand with me this morning. And this is what God is calling you to today, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. This is what would change the state of where we're at. This is what will change how we see. If I don't ignore them, if I don't complain about them, what what can I do about it? What, What is my responsibility then? It's not a lack of resources, a lack of responsibility. So what's my responsibility then? I want you to write down, I can impart what I have to this generation. Because all of you have something to give to the next generation. You have stories, you have miracles. This is kind of how I look at, come here, help me PJ again. If you go back to the Old Testament, I'll give you the picture this way. You go back to the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, this is who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the Israelites. Moses comes on the scene. Moses right here, y'all, wisdom, Mm, leadership, Moses. Moses comes on to the scene. God raises him up to be the leader for the nation of Israel, and he leads them out of Egypt. We know the stories, the Red Sea part. Oh, so good. Manna coming out from heaven, amazing. Water coming out of a rock. I mean, miracle, boom, after miracle. Moses is seeing it happen. Moses misses it, though. He sins. He messes up. So he doesn't get to take the nation of Israel into the promised land. He doesn't take them the whole way. Come on, Mace, hurry quickly. Come on, because I'm running out of time. Quickly, come on. Moses lets go of the reins, and then we see another generation raise up. Some of y'all know it. Who's the, who's the next generation? Joshua. Here's Joshua, young and strong, handsome. Mm. he's young and strong and he's handsome and he takes over the reins of Moses Moses dies doesn't see the promised land Joshua y'all know the story Joshua now takes the reign lead the nation of Israel Jericho falls Joshua in the walls of Jericho I mean we can go after story after story after story right Joshua takes the nation of Israel into the to the promised land they're seeing what God's doing but but in Judges chapter 2 watch what happens in verse 8 It says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance. Skip to verse 10. And after that, come here, Trey. Come on, Trey, hurry. After that, the Bible says, a whole nother generation rises up. And the Bible says this. This another generation grew up. Look at what it says who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That's mind-blowing to me. Because you have Moses, one generation. You have Joshua, two generations. And you have this new generation, just three generations away, that the Bible says they neither knew the Lord nor nor what he had done for Israel. 
Now, this is just my thinking. You can challenge me if you want on this. This is where I feel like we are today in our culture. A generation that neither does not know the Lord nor his word. And this is what we do. We look at this generation and we say, shame on you. Shame on you for not knowing God. Shame on you for only having a 4% biblical worldview. Shame on you for putting everything else in your life above God and making activities and sports and fame and money. And shame on you for doing all of this stuff. And really, whose fault was it? Moses, Joshua, the third generation neither knew the Lord nor his works. Can I submit to you this morning that they got in trouble because they stopped telling the stories. They got in trouble because they stopped imparting what God had done. They got in trouble because they stopped sharing the testimonies. They got in trouble because they stopped saying God's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. That Moses, maybe Moses passed it on to Joshua, but Joshua's generation didn't say, let me tell you about the, the Red Sea that we saw split in two. Maybe, maybe Joshua's people didn't tell the next generation, I know you weren't there, but let me tell you about this city that has some walls that was fortified, and they said there was no way we could get in. But, but we didn't fight a battle. We didn't have a sword. We, didn't have, we just let out a shout, and the walls came down. Let me tell you about Maybe that was the issue. Because they ignored them. Maybe they complained about it. But listen, I've come to challenge you this morning and say, what is it in your life that you need to impart? to the next generation. Go ahead. What is it in your life that you need to hand down to those behind you? I don't know about you. I don't, I don't want to be in the way, and I don't, I don't want to stand before God one day and say, Matt, you, you missed it because you didn't hand it off right. You missed it because you didn't pass it down. What, what is it in your life that you have mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, that you can impart into this Gen Z? to this next generation behind you. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.